As we worship God today, and as we hear his word, we will be reminded, thank you, we will be reminded of the glorious day of ascension of our Lord Jesus Christ. And during that day, we really don't, don't, do not have any idea of what was going on in the minds of the disciples, do we? The day that they listened to Jesus' final words spoken to them prior to his ascension. I am sure that it was a moment of charged emotions. Do you remember the Last Supper when Jesus, when he told the disciples that he is going to be killed? You remember when he said that he had to go and be killed and when Peter told him, by no means, God forbid. You remember how emotionally charged that was and how Peter was rebuked by Jesus because he was trying to put a stop to the very will of the Father in heaven that we could have life. He had no idea what he was doing and he was rebuked strongly. But I can imagine the charged emotion, emotions of the disciples during that day. And now here Jesus, 40 days after he rose from the dead, telling them he is leaving again and he is going into heaven. I'm sure that in the minds of the disciples that it was a day of expectation, a day of victory, and also a day of uncertainty. Because we don't have any idea what tomorrow holds, do we? We do not even know if we'll get through the rest of the day, if the Lord will grace us with the breaths that we need to get through the rest of the day today. It also was a day of worship because they saw their king ascending into heaven. And brothers and sisters, I'm sure we could just make this list go on and on. But we know that this is not the end of them hearing from him either. They are going to hear much more from him, and we still hear from him today. And it is this moment in time that needed to happen so they all could be given power from above. Brothers and sisters, the ascension of Christ had to happen so we could receive power from above. Because that's the only way the Holy Spirit could come to us is for Jesus to depart first. And Jesus told his disciples earlier in his ministry that they would do the works that he has done. And not only would they do those works, but they would do greater works than what he has done when he goes to the Father. So let's take a moment and turn our attention to John chapter 14 and verse 12. John chapter 14 and verse 12. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these, he will do, because I go to my Father. Not if I go to my Father, but he wants them to know that they're going to be able to do these greater works because he departs, because he leaves.
Because Jesus could only, during his time on this earth, be in one place at a time, right? He was confined by his physical nature of being fully human during his sojourn on this earth. He could not be here in Ohio and in California at the same time. He only could be one place at a time. But as the church grows and as the Holy Spirit is filled in each church member who is a believer, the spread of the gospel will flourish and it will grow. Jesus is the root. Jesus is the vine. We are the branches. And if fruit, the fruit that we bear, the fruit that we produce as believers is because the life-giving vine brings that life to us. And He gives us the power to survive. He gives us the power to overcome. He gives us the power to accomplish His will and purpose in each one of our life. You see, in John 14, 12, when Jesus spoke these words, I am confident that the disciples did not grasp the fullness of what Jesus was saying here. They didn't completely understand it. And Jesus taught these things to the disciples as a direct response to Philip asking Jesus this question. To the, Jesus, Philip said, Jesus, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. And Jesus said to Philip, do you not know me, Philip? Do you not know that if you see me, you see the Father? Do you not know that the works that I do are because the Father has instructed me to do these works? Do you not know that the Father and I are one? And then he goes on and tells Philip that anyone who sees me has seen the Father. And brothers and sisters, We have the very Word of God in our possession every day. The very written Word of God. And we have the living Word of God in us. When we read the written Word, the living Word gives us understanding. The living Word directs our path. The living Word teaches us. The living Word gives us courage in the moments that we need courage. The living word is the one who gives us the words right at the right moment for us to say those words. The living word. But the living word has given us the written word so that we can gain understanding who he is. Let's take a moment and turn our attention to Acts chapter 1. So brothers and sisters, we are able to do the works that Jesus did, and we can do even greater works than he did because he departed, because he left. And because he left, we know all about the day of Pentecost, and if you want to read more about the day of Pentecost, read chapter 2 of Acts. Chapter 2 of Acts, you'll see the first sermon ever preached by the church, preached by Peter. The power of the Holy Spirit giving him the words at just the right moment.
to say and to speak to accomplish the will of the Father in heaven at that moment. Acts chapter 1, beginning with verse 1. In my former book, Theophilus, I write about all that Jesus has began to do and teach. Until the day he was taken up to heaven, after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he has chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? And he said to them, It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood before them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. See, brothers and sisters, before we dive into these words, I would like to take a step back and look at what brought us to this point in history and would like to start by looking at John chapter 1. You see, as believers, God has called each one of us to go into the world and to make disciples and to baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. God has called you to do that. He has called me to do that. The church grows not because a pastor stands at this pulpit. That's not what makes the church grow. The Holy Spirit makes the church grow. And the Holy Spirit makes the church grow through each individual in this room who is a believer and who speaks the truth and teaches the truth and exposes the truth to everyone around them. That's how the Holy Spirit works in our life. That's how the Holy Spirit makes the church grow. It is everyone's responsibility to make the church grow. That is a believer. And Jesus does it in you and through you by the Holy Spirit who lives in you. So we are called to go into the world and to make disciples. And in order to do this, we must be willing to expose that all sin, everyone sins, you sin, I sin, everyone sins. We are all guilty. We all deserve the death penalty. We all deserve the penalty of hell. Each one of us do. So we need to make anyone that we are sharing the truth of the gospel with know the most important message about the gospel is sin. Why do we need a savior? We have to understand we are sinners before we can understand we need a savior. So once we know that we are sinners, 
Now we can give the good news that we can repent and we can be saved. We can repent and believe. And one way we can do this is by looking at our beginnings and sharing our beginnings with those who will listen to us. So I'd like us to start there today in John chapter 1, beginning with verse 1. John chapter 1, beginning with verse 1. And I title this first part of our message, The Beginning. Because we have to go to the beginning so we understand the end. And John 1.1, I have to tell you, has always been one of my favorite verses in the Bible. I remember as a young Christian in my early 20s discovering this verse for the very first time and was in awe of what I read. John 1.1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. I remember when I read these words, and I remember sitting there in awe of these words. I remember this like it was yesterday because they are some of the most powerful words in the Bible because they're revelation to our soul. I remember how these words affected me and how I truly began to really understand that Jesus is not just a man who became God, but he was God who became man, fully God and fully man. I remember the intrigue, the mystery, and the fascination as I absorbed them. And brothers and sisters, I have to say that as I was preparing this message today, with that same awe, I pondered these words. It's amazing how when you let the Word of God feed you, how your spirit is moved. It is utterly powerful. And notice here that in the beginning, in the beginning, what is in the beginning? It's as far back in history as we can possibly look. In the beginning, as far back as you can go, in the beginning was the Word. Notice three times in this verse, 17 words in this verse, and three of them are the word, word, capitalized word, acknowledging Christ as God. In the beginning was the word, in the beginning the word was with God, and in the beginning the word was God. This one sentence encapsulates and affirms the undeniable fact that Jesus is God. It emphasizes the deity of Christ. It emphasizes his power as God. And as we go a little further down the page to John 1.14, John chapter 1 and verse 14, if we just look a little bit further down that page, and I remember when I was reading this and as I went a little bit further, and truly saw that I was understanding what I really thought I was understanding, the joy that God put in my heart. And we see the Word became flesh, and the Word dwelt among us, and we beheld, we beheld His glory. 
Do you behold the glory of God in Jesus Christ? His glory. As of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace, unmerited favor, full of grace and full of truth. So if you missed it in verse 1, it is evidently clear in verse 14 that Jesus not only is fully man, but he's fully God. And it's important that we understand that to be able to go back to the beginning. Because a lot of people think Jesus just appeared on the scene and that he was just born. I was born in 1968 on a specific day and a specific hour. But Jesus was not born on a specific date of a specific hour. Jesus, wrap your heads around this, always existed. There has never been a point in time in any part of history that he did not exist. God is eternal. No beginning. Can you wrap your head around no beginning? None? Zero beginning. You look as far back in eternity past as you go, and then you can look further back in eternity past, and you still cannot find the beginnings of God, because He always was. There has never been a beginning for God. He is the uncaused first cause. Amazing. The Word became flesh. He wants us to know Him. An infinite God that has infinitely lived and will infinitely live. Loves you. Right where you're at. Right now. Let's take a look at Hebrews 13.8. So see, in the beginning, Jesus existed. In the beginning, He was with us. Before there was a man on this earth, Jesus existed. Hebrews 13.8 says this, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. And brothers and sisters, I can't even help to try to wrap my head around that also. There's a whole sermon all by itself, that one verse. He is the same yesterday and today and forever. His character is the same as it was a billion years ago. And His character a billion years from now will be the same as it is today. His holiness is the same today as it was yesterday. His holiness will be the same tomorrow as it is today. And we can be thankful that God is good. And we should be terrified that God is good. And why? Because we are not good. And a good and righteous God is going to judge according to His goodness. But He's made a way. Let's take a look now at Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1. Chapter 1 and verse 1. And here we are in the beginning. God created the heavens and the earth. And just as John stated 
in chapter 1, verse 1, that Christ was God and was with God in the beginning, we can see here in Genesis chapter 1 where Jesus spoke the world into existence. He spoke it literally into existence. By the way, the only being who has the power to speak anything into existence is God and God alone. We do not have creative power. We do not have the power to speak something into existence. Only God has that power. And in the first three days that he created, he created the heavens and the earth. And then on the second three days, he filled the heavens and the earth. And he saw that it was good. God created you and I in these six days. Then we jump down to Genesis chapter 1 and verse 27. Chapter 1 verse 27. Here's why God loves us so much. Right here. Of all God's creation, of all of his creation, every planet, every inch of space that he's ever created, every rock that he's made, every plant that he's made, every bird that he's planted, uh, raised, every beast of the field that he has made, there is only one created in his image, and that is mankind. And he did this that we could be in fellowship with him. And make no mistake, God does not need any one of us. He does not need you. He does not need you to advance his kingdom. He does not need us for his will and purpose to be accomplished in this world. He chooses to use us. He chooses to move in and through us. But he does not need us. We need him. We need God. If we ever want to see the gates of heaven, we need God. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female. Now, I can't wrap my head around how male and female was all in male originally, and then Later on in chapter 2, I believe it is, of Genesis, that he put Adam to sleep and took a rib from him and made woman to where she was separate from Adam, a person side by side with him. But God created man. And he gave us instructions to rule over the earth, to rule over the animals of the earth, to give them names. And he gave everything to us. And he told Adam and Eve, the only thing that I command you is of all the trees you can eat of the fruit, of all of them, you can eat the fruit. But there's one you cannot eat, and that is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And brothers and sisters, who knows what fruit that was? It doesn't even matter. The point is, God gave them instructions not to eat of that fruit, because the day that they eat of that fruit, they will surely die. And they did experience death. They did experience spiritual death in that moment. And only God knows if Adam and Eve chose to believe again before they died. But one day we'll know when we're in heaven with the Father. See, God made man and he said what? It is not just good, but very good. But then we didn't listen to him. 
Adam and Eve ate of the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil. And we can see this in chapter 2, verses 15 and 16, where he put them in the garden to take care of it. And he commanded them to freely eat from all the trees. And then that's where we can see the rest of the story. And then in Genesis 3 is where it went wrong. Genesis 3 is where it went wrong. And God was not clueless. He knew Adam and, in, Adam and Eve were going to sin. Before the foundations of the earth, before the earth was created, he knew they were going to sin. And before the foundations of the earth, he already put in a, play, uh, a plan of action that leads to salvation. And we see the first picture of this plan in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15. Let's take a look at that. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and hers, he will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. Here we see the first plan of redemption. Picture of it. Not literally, but you see the picture of it. You see the picture of it because right here, when he was talking, he will crush your head. That's Christ crushing the head of the serpent, the head of the devil. And the devil will strike his heel, which certainly is what we've seen happen at the cross. And Christ was nailed to the cross. And I'm sure that Satan thought he had his victory that day. But in reality, that day was the day of victory for Christ and God and what they had accomplished. And brothers and sisters, still to this day, the devil can bring temptation to you and me. Even as believers, the devil brings temptation to us every day. But he cannot have the soul of the redeemed because they belong to God. Paul stated in Romans chapter 16 and verse 20. Romans 16 and 20. That the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your foot. The grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. Brothers and sisters, there's the grace of Jesus with you again as a believer. His grace abounds more than your sin. Do you still not realize, brother, that it's not what you do that sends you to hell? Do you still not understand this? That it's not what you do and it's not what you don't do that sends you to hell. It's do you believe? Have you repented and do you believe? Christ will do his work through you. The work that we do is not because, is not so we can gain salvation. The work that we do is because we have salvation. It's, that's the fruit of our salvation. You not sinning and you not falling short and you overcoming temptation is because you are saved. That is the fruit of your salvation. The people that you feed, the sick that you help, the ones that you pray for, 
You, that is the fruit of your salvation. You do not do that so you're saved. You do not tell a lie. Not, you do not avoid telling a lie so you can be saved. You avoid telling a lie because you are saved. You avoid being a homosexual because you are saved. You avoid being a drunkard because you are saved. And it's not you that overcomes. It's the Spirit in you who lives in you that gives you the strength to overcome. It is Him who gives you the strength to repent. It is Him who gives you the strength to live life without sin. Does that mean we will not sin? No. When we're talking about a life without sin, we're talking about habitual sin. My next point is the significance of the 40 days that we read about in Acts chapter 1. In verse 3, I believe it is. And here we see Jesus given instructions through the Holy Spirit. And we see a picture of the fellowship and continuity between the members of the Godhead and Jesus' instruction through the Holy Spirit. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit working in perfect unity. This is actually in verse 2 here. They are the one true God. Father, Son, Holy Spirit make up the one true God. And after his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs. Gave many convincing proofs. And he appeared to them for over 40 days. Now what's the significance of 40 days in the scriptures? You don't have to go far in scripture to see some significance of 40 days. Moses went up to the mountain and into the presence of God, and he was there for 40 days. Remember when God was giving him the Ten Commandments? He was there for 40 days. And you remember Israel? Israel totally turned their back on God in 40 days because their leader was up in the mountains and they didn't know what happened to him. In 40 days, Israel was tested. And then you see the spies spent 40 days spying out the land of Canaan as, Jesus, as God was going to give them the land, the promised land. And what did they do? They saw giants and what happened? They got fearful. They got fearful and they chose not to go into the land. Another 40 days where there was a test that they clearly failed and then Goliath, he taunted Israel and the Israelites for 40 days. He taunted them for 40 days until David showed up on the scene. And then David killed Goliath. And we can't forget Jesus who was tempted in the desert for 40 days. Jesus was tempted and tested for 40 days in the, de in the desert. I don't know if this is any particular importance of 40 days, but I found it interesting that there are 40 authors, 40 different writers of the Bible. Interesting thought. Don't, I'm not trying to make gospel up here. It was an interesting thought to me. So what is the significance of the 40 days? 
We see in some of these references that it was a time of testing and judgment. Yet in these times of difficulty, at the end there was relief and blessing. For instance, after the flood, God led the Israelites to the promised land. David killed Goliath. And Jesus had victory over Satan. And the list goes on and on. So you see, after 40 days, Jesus, after 40 days of Jesus being raised from the dead, he is now going to ascend into heaven and be with the Father. And what is he doing when he goes into, the he into heaven with the Father but to prepare a place for who? He's going to prepare a place for every believer. For every believer. And if he departs, what is he going to do? He's going to return for you and me. So he ascended to heaven. And the final portion of my message here today is why he must depart. See, on one occasion in verse 4 of Acts chapter 1, on one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave this, them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water. Here's the primary reason. Jesus had to leave and ascend to the Father. Verse 5, But in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Do we, as believers, and some of us who have been believers for many years, and studied and learned about the Holy Spirit many, many times, do we understand the power we have with the Spirit in us? Do you know you do not have to be fearful of the world out there? You do not have to be afraid to stand up for someone, to someone who is sitting there blaspheming God. You do not have to be fearful to call a false teacher a false teacher when your friend is talking about this false teacher and you keep silent, do you love your friend? If I see you reading a book with Joe Osteen's name on it and I never mention to you that he's a false teacher, do I love you? I think not. Truth is hard to hear sometimes. Brothers and sisters, Early on in my walk with God, I got caught up with people like Kenneth Copeland, Benny Hinn, and Joyce Meyer. I got caught up with people like that. I'm glad that a brother was bold and stood up to the truth of the gospel. I'm glad that I saw the lie. Was it hard? To hear? Yes. Did I want to believe it? No. I had so many questions. Why didn't I see it? Brothers and sisters, they don't even use the scripture 
And when they do use the scripture, they twist it. You'll notice on the screen sometimes where they put the verse up. And if you open up your Bible, you might just see that they changed a word or two. Significant words. Significant. Christ has called you to be his ambassador. You have the Spirit of God. That's why he ascended to heaven. You have the Spirit of God living in you. Stand up for the truth. That's what we are called as the church to do. Stand up for the truth. I promise you, every time that I'm up here, I will stand up for the truth. Every time that I hear a false teacher teaching false things, I will stand up for the truth. But here's the thing. Are you in the Word of God? I wasn't in the Word of God enough, and that's why I fell for the false teacher. Are you willing to admit that you haven't been in the Word enough, and that's why you fall for the false teacher? Are you willing to ask the Lord forgiveness and to repent for listening to the false teacher? Brothers and sisters, in every congregation, there's someone standing for the false teacher. There's someone who is for the false teacher. Satan is in here with us today. Make no mistake about it. Satan's followers are in here with us today. Make no mistake about it. He goes to church. But you know what else he knows? The scripture. Does he know it better than you? Stand up for the truth. You have the Spirit in you because Christ ascended. He ascended because He wanted you to have power to overcome the world. He wanted you to have power to be able to share the truth of the gospel with someone to where they gain understanding so the Spirit can do His work in their heart and the Spirit can change their heart to be in His likeness like you are in His likeness. Because there's only one group of people only one group of people who are in the image of God, and that is believers. That is believers. If you are an unbeliever, you do not stand in the image of God. But if you are a believer, you are of like mind of the Father in heaven. And you have the ability to take that unbeliever who is not in the image of God and make him a new creation in the image of God whose old self will pass away and his new self in Christ. He is born of the Spirit. Brothers and sisters, the power of God is in you like that. He is in you like that. We do not need to worry about times. We do not have to worry about dates of the coming of Jesus Christ. What we need to worry about is going and making disciples of all nations and baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20. That's your job. That's my job as believers. And we do not do it perfectly. 
Peter, James, and John, and Paul, and Saul, and Barnabas, none of them did it perfectly. Their sins are exposed in the scriptures to let you see that they didn't do it perfectly so you wouldn't lose heart when you do not do it perfectly. But God will perfectly work out His will through your imperfection and your trust in Him as you do His holy work. God is holy and holy God lives in you. He is righteous. Expose the righteousness of God to the world. If not you, who? We were called, Ephesians 2.10 and then I'll close, we were called to be Christ's workmanship. That he created, he created us that we might be able to accomplish his work that he prepared in advance for each one of us to do. The work God has for you, he's already prepared it. All you have to do is trust and step out and do it. Because of the ascension of Jesus Christ. Because of the work of Christ and him willing to leave and go into heaven and the spirit come upon us, we can do greater works than Christ did on this earth. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, again, thank you, Lord, for this opportunity to share your truth. And Father, we ask that your word penetrate our soul, that it quicken our hearts, that your word changes our life, that your word makes us like you, and where we fall short that we would repent and turn to you. For you said that we are all sinners, but you also said that if we confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. And Father, we're so thankful for your word. We're so thankful for Jesus and the price that he paid for us at the cross. And that you have called us to repentance and called us to believe and to do your good work. In Jesus' name, amen.